welcome to the Lost Then Found podcast. This is a space where we will discuss life, share truth, and gain an encouraging perspective, no matter our season or our circumstances. I'm your host, China Vogel, and this is a peek into my journey of being lost then found. Welcome to the Lost and Found podcast. I am so glad that you are joining in this week. I'm your host, China Vogel, and we are in week four of our series called Trials and Tribulation. Just to talk about this past week, so I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, That's super real (laughs) that, I don't know, just this time of year has a way of picking up, right? But I know for us, we've had an uptick as well in the schedule, but we also got to kind of support some friends as they were having a funeral for just an important person in their life. And through that, you know, I'm sitting there and I got to hear a message delivered by a pastor who was talking about, of course, grief and loss. And it really ended up speaking to me. He delivered it really well and even more so. Uh, He talked about grief and loss in light of eternity in a way that just kind of was fresh. It was really good. And he actually kind of hinged his message off of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And that, that passage says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Man, I've read that verse a whole lot, but this time it was fresh, you know, in light of this family had such an unexpected loss of a key fixture in their family. It was grandma, it's mom, it was aunt, sister, best friend, and it was very unexpected. It was very tragic. That, That kind of reframed it, right? We do not lose heart. You know, our outer self is wasting away, yet all of this is light and momentary affliction, and it's producing for us an eternal glory. That's far beyond comparison. So good. So I had already actually planned on within this series talking about grief, but this week seemed even more appropriate uh, just with my week being framed by uh, this funeral that we got to go and support our friends at. And, you know, in our world, especially in light of recent years with COVID and uh, different sicknesses going around, I know that grief and loss are not really far away from probably most of us. There's probably not too many people who have been unmarked unless they're just young in life, right? But it comes, as as many of us know. And so I just started digging and I ended up finding some kind of startling and also interesting facts about loss. So first off, 2.5 million people die in the U.S. annually and they each leave an average of five grieving people behind And then it's also estimated that 1.5 million children, so 5% of children that are in the U.S., have lost one or both parents by the age of 15. And that is devastating, friends. And so grief touches a lot of people. The process of grief is complicated, right? So for many people, it's, it's most difficult within the first several days or the first weeks. And then after that time, 
those those people can gradually return to their daily routines and normal stuff that they do. You know, it kind of subsides in some regard. And then there's another type of grief that's called complicated grief. It's referring to a type of grief that is just overwhelming. It's powerful and it can seem to have no end and that can last for years. And that kind of extended grief actually affects about 10 to 20% of people. For an adult who has that kind of complicated grief, emotions, you know, the emotions that are already there, you know, grief is already hard. There's already normal side effects that that I'm going to talk about here in a sec, but these things are just heightened. They're overwhelming. They are having difficult functioning on a daily basis on normal tasks, right? And so the side effects for anyone experiencing grief, you know, there's a spectrum, but there can be fatigue. There can be appetite changes, headaches, aches and pains, stomach aches, heart palpitations, deepening diseases um, or worsening diseases, cancer, blood pressure. That's from grief. (laughs) And then people can also have emotional effects, right? Like sadness, depression, inability to sleep or just their sleep kind of getting, you know, screwed up a little bit, anger, anxiety, PTSD, And that can even lead to, you know, out of depression, suicidal thoughts, and and the list just went on. And all of this, all of that that I just shared, what that tells me is that grief is complicated and that it impacts most of us, right? That a part of our world is life, but there's also death. And I share all of this because either you have experienced a loss like what I'm describing or you're going to. And it's a sad truth that we know that our time is undefined. We don't know how long or short any of us are going to be here. But that is something that is pretty much a guarantee that you're going to experience if you live any length of time. And so these facts, these uh, statistics are really going to help us to understand grief and not only how it impacts ourselves when we go through it, but how it impacts others. And so we're going to look at three different avenues of this and hopefully one or all of them will give you nuggets to use either now or to store away for later. And, you know, just to give some context before we dive in, just in the last few years, Justin and I have experienced uh, kind of a crazy amount of loss and loss with people who are close to us. So my mom passed away from cancer about two and a half years ago. And should have been a strand that, you know, by all the doctor's accounts, she should have been fine. And then she wasn't. So we lost my mom. And then about a year later, we lost one of both of our good friends. But my husband, one of his best friends in life, uh, passed away tragically, very unexpectedly. And then most recently, my husband uh, just lost both of his grandmas within about a two-month period. Um, and that's just like the highlight reel that there's there's been plenty more loss in maybe a more extended thing than that. And so we have just been thrust into, especially with, like I said, within the last few years here, loss and grief. And what does that look like when it's expected, when it's not expected, um, when people are old, when people are young, we've kind of gotten a spectrum there that we've been able to experience. And so I'm really hoping that just my experience, while I don't have it figured out in its entirety, I'm hoping that it just impart something to you of what I have learned. So we're going to look at three avenues of what it looks like for grief, right? So first off, we're going to look at what if you are near to someone who is going through loss or grief. So not if it's you, but if it's someone who's just in your proximity. And I would say the very, probably the biggest piece here (laughs) that I've seen true in my own experience is to be present instead 
of being the solution. So I'll say that again. So be present instead of being the solution. So that can look a few different ways. In a a really big way is to be a listener. So to listen, and I would say with the caveat of listen more than you talk. (laughs) And friends, I am I I have a podcast, like I like to talk. (laughs) I have a high empathy, but I am not naturally a very good listener. So friends, I'm at the front of the line here. One of the best things that you can do for someone who is experiencing loss and grief is to listen. And the reality is, is that being able to share and really feel like you're being heard and seen can be such a soothing balm to the wounds in our heart. I know that to be true for my own life. So all the more how we can do that for other people by just listening. And once again, not trying to be the solution, but just being present. And friends, we have a guest. Nina, can you say hello? Say hi. Hi. Mama. Can you say I? Hi. Love? You. (laughs) We have another guest on, Miss Zeladar. Can you say hi? Hi. Can you say lost and found? Lost and found. Yep, just like that. So, friends, all that to say, your ability to sit and smile and listen with intention and just give them you is going to be such a gift in the midst of their grief. In James 119, it, it sums it up well. It says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? Slow in your responses, thought out in your responses. So another way that you can be present is to acknowledge the loss and remember the person. And I've seen this, and I'm sure I have unknowingly done this myself, but not remembering the loss or acknowledging it uh, for someone else enough. And what I mean by this is, you know, for example, if I have a friend who loses their grandma, I don't just avoid it conversationally because it could feel awkward or because I just don't want them to feel bad or because I feel weird or anything like that. Instead, say, hey, how are you doing with the loss of your grandma? And if time has gone by, you can say, hey, I know everything has slowed down. How are you doing? And practically, you just remember them. Jess and I were just doing this the other night about our friend Brian that I was telling you about. So we lost Brian a little over a year and a half ago. Had just kind of a tragic accident at a, at a park and ended up passing away. And it was jolting. Like he was a 33-year-old who should have had a a much longer life. And so to have someone that close to us, kind of what it felt like ripped away was really hard. And even a year and a half later, we're still grieving that loss and trying to reconcile, wait, he's really not here. And so a way that I could do that for my husband the other night was to gently, with the Holy Spirit leading the conversation, was to remember things about Brian, to smile and joke about the good memories and to cry because that pain is still real and to listen to his heart without trying to provide anything, but just to be a listening ear in return. So we acknowledge and remember the person who passed. And that's another way that we can we can be that balm and provide that love and care to the person that we're, we're trying to help. And then this might sound simple, but it is so impactful. Thank of the practicals. Pets need things. Provide meals. Do kids have birthdays or special events coming up? You know, sidewalks need shoveled and grass needs mowed. 
things need mailed. There's always something practical that needs done. And if you have been through grief, you know as well as I do that it's amazing how some of those normal life tasks just kind of, they just leave your radar. And so to have people step in, and of course the memory comes up for me that it's actually when Justin was sick, but the principle still applies. So the day that Justin got admitted, which was super unexpected when he got admitted to the hospital, it was actually a day that I put a lot of work in and we were planning to have that evening a birthday party for our Zeladara. She's turning three and we had already postponed it. And so we had postponed it again. And then that morning, Justin woke up with a crazy fever. We took him into the doctor and once they got his vitals, they're like, hey, he's not okay. We need to admit him right now. And so obviously I was far more concerned about Justin's health, but it was still deflating that we had planned. We had bought all the balloons. There was cake. There was all this stuff. And we weren't able to give that that experience to our three-year-old. So what did one of our good friends do? But they brought over, once we got home, they brought over a big balloon for Zella and they brought a meal over. And the fact that someone cared about my child during such a, a traumatic time, I'm still weeping over that. Oh man, I was so moved by that because it was like, I felt so seen. I felt so cared for. And more than just like, man, we hope you're okay. And then, and then we move on. It was like, no, they were, they cared about the details, right? And so what is something practical that you can do to show up? You are being the very hands and feet of Jesus when you care for people like that. And I believe that there's a heart out of Philippians 2, 3 uh, through 5 that that we're capturing there. And it says, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. So how can you look to someone else's interest when they're grieving? How can you look to their needs? So just to, to recap that. So if you're near to someone who's going through loss and grief, you need to be present instead of being the solution. You need to acknowledge the loss and remember the person. Think practical. And then finally, think of the long term. You know, when my mom passed away, uh, a year later, I received three cards. And I was so just dumbfounded. <laughs> because who actually remembers your loss a year after the fact? Like, who does that? But I was blessed enough to have three separate people in my life who on their end must have, they must have marked it on their calendars, but that card took them probably five minutes to write, put a, put a stamp on to mail. And the fact that they were just remembering the, my loss, my family's loss, honoring my mom, and that they were just offering a, another branch of love. Those five and a half minutes, even two and a half years later for me, are still touching me. And man, I want to be that for other people. So think long-term. And if you use a digital calendar, so what we just started doing in our home, probably within the last few years here, is we actually made a calendar, a digital calendar, and I called it CARE, and we put things on it like surgeries. We put things on it like losses. We put things on it like births of babies. And that way we can check back in with people and we can just be that kind word. We can be that note. We can be that meal. We can be the text, right? It doesn't have to be a lot. But you thinking long-term is another way that you can be present instead of trying to be the solution. And I promise you, that will carry a major impact with the person on the other side. So 
That's how you can help someone else as they're navigating their own grief and their own loss. And then as a second point is some thoughts around if you are heading into loss. And I say that and I get how uh, there's there's kind of some irony in that because who actually knows uh, that you're heading into loss? Most of the time we don't unless you have someone who's ill and kind of uh, deteriorating. But most of the time we don't know. And the reality is, is that we all are heading into loss. And this is not a statement to give you stress or anxiety or like, oh my gosh, someone's going to die. But the reality is, is we can soberly and in a healthy way realize that this life is short and all of us, including myself, we are expiring. We have expiration dates on us. And James 4.14 in the ESV captures it really well. It says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so friend, we're all, we're all going to experience loss if we live any amount of time on this earth. Like I said earlier, life and then death are a part of our world. And so the best I can offer you is first off, don't live in fear of loss or grief. Because friend, if you choose maybe intentionally, unintentionally to partner with that anxiety to kind of cozy up with it, even if you don't want to, if you're like, man, it's just there. But the reality is if we don't intentionally throw it off when it tries to come and hang out with us, we're going to be choosing to get damaged by something that hasn't even happened yet. And friend, that's not God's best for you. First Timothy 1, 7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So love, power, kind of that, not, not really friends with anxiety, right? I actually love that in some other translations, it says that he gives you a sound mind. Man, the fear of anxiety about death doesn't have to dictate your life. It doesn't have to be a yoke that is around your neck. And that spirit, so it says, for God has not given you a spirit of fear because the Holy Spirit gives, and I'm paraphrasing there, but gives power, gives love, gives self-control, gives a sound mind. So let God's spirit win there. You can choose to let your anxiety bow down and come under the authority and the power that is in the spirit of God. And you can have sound mindedness. You can have clarity there. And you don't have to live in fear of that. You don't have to live in fear of loss. You don't have to live in fear of like, man, what's coming tomorrow? But a great way to combat that is just being present with the time you do have. So be present. And friend, I'm at the front of this line too, but put your phone down. If you want to be present, stop giving your time to things you don't want to give it to. And a lot of times that's our phones. And even if it's good stuff you're doing, if you don't want to regret how you're spending your time, if you don't want to look back and be like, man, I wish, I wish I would have done things differently, then choose to be present by putting all technology down and make eye contact. You can create memories, be present with the people you love and be present in the time that you have. And finally, friends, if you are currently experiencing grief in any measure of it, if someone died an hour ago, if someone uh, passed man, like three years ago, 10 years ago, there are things that you can do if you are experiencing grief that will help you in it. Some things that I have personally found, first off is to slow down and to feel. 
And this can seem really hard (laughs) for multiple reasons. Maybe you have trouble slowing down. Maybe you don't want to slow down when you really kind of look at your motivation there. You don't want to because you might actually have to see and face what's there. And maybe you feel so overwhelmed that you don't feel like you can. But there's actually some very practical ways to start slowing down. And, you know, for me, I journal. And I'm going to be honest, it's an idea that I really struggled with uh, prior to a couple years ago. I felt like I was a teenage girl who had like, man, who's with me? You had like the lock on your journal and it had a little key. And it's like, it's where you would just pour your heart out, right? (laughs) And so there was something that actually hit me super sideways about that. And I'm like, oh, I feel so juvenile doing this. But friends, if you relate to that, if you don't, either way, it is so good to get stuff out and to process it. And now that's actually a practice that I lean on. Something that I do actually every morning, I make a practice of journaling and it helps to to identify a thought, to identify the emotion, to have to think through it to enough to be able to write it out. It just helps to get it out. And it, man, it may feel like at times you're not making progress. Like, man, I'm just like vomiting here. But there's something deeper that's going on in just the process of you getting it out. It's it's allowing you time to digest it. And, you know, as I've started journaling, actually more recently, I've started doing some type of exercises around prayer that have really helped as well. And so Jess and I are actually reading a book right now called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And just to be honest with you, friends, I think this book is going to be, um, I think it's something the Lord's been speaking to us about in our own lives for some time. Um, But I I think that he's using this book to be a catalyst to give us some practical handles on, okay, so what does that look like? (laughs) Because we can say we, we want to be in the yoke of Jesus, but what does that actually look like when it's December and everything's swirling around, right? And so one of the things in the practices that they talk about is uh, these prayers or kind of these practices, right, that that they give you. That's a way that you can train yourself to slow down. And so first off, there's breathing prayer, which is just you slowing down. There's no other distractions going on and you are just focusing your heart and your mind on Jesus, and if stuff pops up, you just recenter yourself back on Jesus. And that is super hard to do when I know for me, I'm used to something being on at all times. Like there's always something, right? Music, worship, uh, a movie for the kids, uh, whatever it is, a podcast. But it is really good to just get quiet before the Lord, be still before the Lord. And it does help us to know that he's God. I'm referencing a passage that I don't know the direct uh, location of. If you know it, you'll have to text it to me or message me. But be still and know that I'm God. When we're still, we recenter on knowing, no, he is God. And then out of that, there's also feeling and listening prayers. And those are where you're, you're sitting and as thoughts come up, as emotions come up, you're letting them come out in a safe space with the Lord. And for me, I journal those things. I don't think that that's necessarily a, a practice that they say you have to do, but that's something that I do. And I put them down on paper. And then I can, when I move away from that and I can come back and look at it the next day or at the end of the week, it really can give insight into the condition of my heart. After the fact, the Holy Spirit will be like, 
hey, that's actually what's going on there. <laughs> he'll he'll give revelation about my own journaling later on. So friends, those, the slowing down, the journaling, the breathing prayer, the feeling and then listening prayer, and then also letting, I guess I something I didn't hit on, feeling and listening, letting Jesus speak into that are all really good practices for allowing yourself to slow down and feel in your grief. So that's one way that I've been able to, just as I've been going through grief myself, been able to navigate that and navigate it with the Lord. And another way is to get in community and then also to allow community in. And friend, you need care. You are not an island. Let me say that. You are not an island and you need care. And so if you are in loss, if you're in grief, if you're in any kind of trauma for that matter, you need care. And a lot of times God will use people to show you his love and to show you his empathy and his care and his kindness for where you're at and for what you're going through. So just as I described how to be on the other side of someone grieving, you also need to, when you're in it, need to be a good receiver of that. You need to let community in. You need to let people in. And friend, it's okay to ask. And if you need permission, I don't know why we need permission for this. I struggle with this as well. It's okay to ask if you need something. I know we hope people will be perfect <laughs> and reach out at the exact right time, but life is complicated and people people aren't perfect and it's not that simple, right? So if you realize that you're not in community, if you realize that you need a friend, reach out. Ask for the coffee date. Send the message. Make the call. And friends, you can be clear and say, hey, I'm having a hard time. I need a friend. I just had somebody do this with me recently. Not about grief, but just they're they're in a rough spot in life. And they were just really clear. It's been really dark. It's been really rough. I could use a friend. And man, that makes my heart like I want to, to go be there as a friend on the other side of that. That draws me in to relationship and connection and allows me um, once again, me on this side to be the hands and feet of Jesus to love my friend and also for my friend to find empathy and to find care. So if you're in it, get in community and allow community in. And finally, if you're in grief right now, friend, you need to lean on the rock. In Isaiah 57, 15, God says, I will restore the crushed in spirit, the ones that are humble and I will revive the courage of those who have repentant hearts. So he restores the crush. In Matthew 5, 4, it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So friend, if you're mourning, you can have comfort. And if you're crushed, you can be restored. But that's with a caveat, right? That's only if you run to the comforter. That's only if you run to the redeemer. So God can use your pain. He can use your grief. He can use your loss even in the deepest, most painful crevices of your soul that are so damaged that I know, I know that feeling when it feels like it goes, it feels like that wound goes on for eternity. And it feels like, man, that will never end. That will never stop. But friends, God will use it for good. He has good plans for you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He works all things together for good. So friend, you need to lean on the rock. 
And man, as I've referenced before, you know, my mom, she passed away a couple years ago from cancer. And, you know, in her her final week of life, she was on hospice. And as she progressed, right, she went from eating meals with us. Obviously, she was very sick, but she was able to come out, sit with us as a family, eat, laugh, smile to some extent. And then by the end of the week, you know, my mom just faded away across that week. And it ended up she was in a coma and then she passed away. So my five siblings and I and... Uh, most of us are married. So amongst all of us and my dad, we were taking turns spending time sitting with my mom. So she wasn't alone. Even when she was in a coma, we did not want her to be alone, especially in those final days and hours. And so one afternoon before she passed away, I was sitting there and I'm reading scripture to her. Um, and she's in, she's in a coma at this point. And this worship set comes on. Oh, man. And they're just singing over and over. Beauty for ashes joy for mourning, praise for heaviness. I am for your glory. And they said it again, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for heaviness. I am for your glory. And it was like the Lord came into the room and was saying to me, China, I will bring something beautiful out of this. I can give you joy in the midst of your mourning. You do have praise. You know how to praise me. And that is the cure for that heaviness. And I could in that moment say with all of the weight of those emotions at hand, yes, Lord, I am for your glory. God, I am for your glory. And this, even this is for your glory. And friends, I clung to that. I fell on that rock. (laughs) I fell on the rock and I prayed. I prayed. And to be honest, even after my mom took her final breath, I was still praying for a miracle. I I that could have been shock. That might sound crazy to you. That might have just been crazy faith. I I'd like to believe that. But I was like, "No, Lord, I know that you raised the dead. I know that you can like you can invade the situation and it can be for your glory." But even when that didn't happen, and even when my mom died, we had so many questions and emotions, and honestly, there was anger. I had so much anger after that, and so much sadness. Um, And then you've got family dynamics on that. Like that just compounds it with interest, right? But even then, God, you'll bring beauty for ashes. God, I know that you have joy for my mourning and that there's praise when I'm heavy because I am for your glory. And that gave me so much strength. When I fell kind of face first into that, in my weakness, in my grief, God's promise And who he is was a rock that was immovable that I was holding on to. I was leaning on that rock. And friend, he will be that for you too if you lean on him. So I'm going to leave you with that passage. So that that song was out of Isaiah 61. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn and to console the mourners that are in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty for ashes, that there's oil of joy for mourning. And there's a garment of praise for a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he 
may be glorified. In another translation, it's a display for the Lord's splendor. So friend, we don't lose heart. Back to that 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self can be and is renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you're the God of the mountain and you're the God of the valley. God, that in grief and in sorrow and in loss and even in questions that man are the why, 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 why? Why did this hit us? Why did this hit my family? Why? Why, why, why? <laughs> Lord, that we need you. I heard a pastor say it this weekend, but we don't need to know the answer. We need the revelation. And Jesus, we need you to reveal yourself in the midst of that loss, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that grief. We need you to come and invade that space and all the dark spots and all the icky feelings, God, that you are not scared of those things, but know you comfort those who mourn, God, that you restore those who, who are crushed in spirit. So God, I pray that we as believers would become really good at modeling after you, that we would comfort those that mourn, that we would help them find joy in their morning, that we would remind them that beauty comes out of ashes, or that we would point people to the fact that, no, we can praise when there's a spirit of despair, when there's a spirit of heaviness. And God, I'm for your glory, that this, even in this, you can turn it for good and it's for your glory. So God, we trust you, we love you, and I believe that you're going to work all things for the good of those that love you, for those that are called according to your purpose. Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friend, I love you. Uh, once again, I hope that just some of those nuggets help you. Once again, I'm not a <laughs> I'm not the end-all be-all in this and there's plenty that I'm still learning uh, through just my own experiences and uh, being on the end of grief and then also helping people uh, on the other side with grief. But I pray that this equips you. I pray that it helps you and know that I love you, uh, that Jesus loves you and that he's for you. You have a good week. <laughs>